Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to House E Internet Radio. I'm your host, Freddie C. Howard. We're going to be talking about Monroe County civil rights history. We're going to come on after this song, Ms. Just like chasing a dream. Chasing a rainbow It's just like chasing a dream You know they say that There's a pot of gold At the end of the rainbow Did you follow your dream? Did you follow Oh, that rainbow You know they say There's a pot of gold At the end of the rainbow Tell me, my friend Did your father follow you dream? Tell me, tell me, my friend did you follow, follow your rainbow? Cause chasing a dream is just like following the wind. And you don't know, you don't know just where it's going in. Just like chasing a rainbow, chasing a rainbow is just like having a friend. They will be there with you through the thin. Did you give up? You went it. Got hard. Did you give up? Oh, regardless, oh, how hard. Did you give up? No matter, no matter what the part. Was it thick or was it thin? Oh, did you stick with them? Just like even a friend chasing a rainbow. Oh, it's just like having, having a friend. How about you, my friend? Did you stay there? Did you stay with him? Did you follow your dream? Did you follow it all the way?
Freddie C. Howard here at uh, Housey Internet Radio. Thank you for listening, and welcome to Housey Brecken Gospel Blog Talk Radio. Enjoy the broadcast. Good evening, Miss Carl. How you doing? I'm doing good, Mr. Howard. And yourself? I pre- yeah, I appreciate you calling in. Uh, we are going to be talking about history in Monroe County. We got lined up uh, Mr. H.B. Williams and Ms. Nana Ruth Williams uh, broadcast from uh, a while back where we interviewed them, and they were talking about the civil rights struggles in um, Monroe County. Mr. Williams also talking about his struggles while over at Packers Bend. We have uh, one guest in the studio with us. That's Ms. Gwen Kyles of the um, Gwendolyn Kyles of the uh, Monroe County Black History Group on uh, Facebook. Um, she has been posting some powerful information and history information, and she has been at the forefront of a number of um, events that have taken place here in Monroe County over the years. Uh, tell us a little bit about um, what you got going on, and are you a part of the breakfast that's coming up on uh, the 15th? Um. Mr. Freddie uh, Ripley, Monroe County Black History page is mm-hmm. mostly for um, trying to reach our young people. Mm-hmm. Um, every year we uh, we discuss and we're familiar with Harriet Tubman, Sojourner mm-hmm. Truth, Dr. King, etc. But I felt that our young people needed to know what was surrounding them in that history that we had in Monroe County. And actually, to be honest, which I've had so many people to send me information to post, and um, so many of them are saying that they're learning so much, but in terms, I'm learning as well uh, about a lot of history in Monroe, but that I wasn't familiar with either, and uh, I appreciate that. As far as the breakfast uh, this year, Carol Banks and, and Frank Banks at the uh, Banks Memorial Cremation, they are hosting the 8th annual Dr. King's Breakfast um, this year, and I appreciate them for doing that. We pretty much have passed it over to them. They are young, and that has always been our plan was to encourage and empower the younger generation. And in turn, our objective was to make a positive impact in our community. So they will be hosting that this year. And now I've talked with her, and she said that the tickets are on sale, and you can pick those up at the Banks Memorial Cremation there. Uh, they are $20, and um, I'm not just quite sure who's the speaker. Um, she mentioned it to me, but I'm not just quite sure. So I'm not, I'd rather not say because who I'm thinking it. Could be. I'm not sure that's who it is. So I'm sure that probably that information was probably in the, in the papers, but they are hosting that this year, and I'm looking forward to hearing um, good things about that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but you've um, been there. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate um, the opportunity to uh, be on the radio with you here live. And on um, this Sunday night, it's been a storm kind of coming through. The Internet has been in and out, but God's still good. Tell me, um, uh, from your experience, um, Monroe County, uh, talk a little bit about Monroe County. Uh, when you say history, you, um, sometimes you might think, we want to be focused on black history, but anything concerning history in Monroe County concerning black people is still black history or white history, what do you want to call it, but the history of Monroe County. I see where you had taken some pictures of uh, the old Union High and uh, the old facilities there and how it's, it's amazing how the things that we have had in our grass and how they have slipped away and um, there are still some powerful people still working. I have been a part of the Martin Luther King um, celebration for 52 years. We started by Mr. Yeah. Fred Mims and um, Mr. Ezra Cunningham. And we set okay. up in the front door of the um, the courthouse, one on the one side and one of us on the other side. And... Um, Last year, 2020, was the last year that we had it in 2021. And then you know what COVID has did to all of the festivities and activities. I felt me and Mr. Marshall, we're going to be meeting. I hope that if you've got time Thursday afternoon, mask up and spray up uh, (laughs) whatever you have to do. We're going to be... We're going to be meeting in that small room off to the right there when you come into the courthouse. Mm-hmm. And we're going to yes. be putting on one of the um, biggest voters' drive and uh, information, getting out information about voting Mono County ever seen because oh, that's they're awesome. talking about suppressing the vote. But you know how we suppress the vote, Gwen? is by not voting, not registering. Exactly. All that stuff they're talking about, I don't care what they do. If you get registered to vote, get other people registered to vote, and come out in numbers like you used to come out years ago, there ain't nothing they can do except count the votes. I, I, I totally agree with you, but I don't feel as if I, I really don't understand. Uh, how maybe you know more about it since you was at the forefront of the voting. And I think what you're doing is, is, as it relates to voting, that should definitely be at the forefront now more than ever with the suppression of it. And and I don't think our people really realize how important it is. Um, about, About two years ago, I was going from going to several churches, and I was trying to explain to them the importance of the black vote. Some people didn't realize and still don't realize how important it is. Um, It saddens my heart when I sit and watch television and what's going on up there in Washington. And the sad thing, that's sad, but what's even sadder is the fact that our people don't realize the importance of their vote. I'm not sure if you was at the last breakfast that we had, but there we had pictures there 
uh, exhibiting the older hands of the people that was marched, et cetera, and so many things happened to them, casting their vote. And I told them then, and you, I'm not sure if you was there at that one, but I told them then if it was important to them for us, then we should, it should be equally or more important to us because of them. And them, they are the ones that went through some of the hardships, the fire holes, the dogs, houses burned down. They're the ones that was at the forefront of making the way for us to have a better life and casting our vote. But I, I don't understand. I don't know what it's going to take to get that that type of nourishing into the people to realize that their future and their generations after that depends on them voting. I totally agree with you in reference to um, if we could just get them and they count them. I don't know from the way I look at things. I don't know the way they're trying to talk. It's a possibility of trying to cast them out or find some reason another why that vote don't count. As I was saying to someone earlier, that if it wasn't broken as far as voting was concerned, why are you trying to fix it? What happened that it needs to be fixed? That's what I'm not understanding. Maybe you can help me out with that. What's happening? See, the GOP has not won any major elections in a while. They can win uh, local races. They can win state races. But on the national level, they have been losing in the last several years. Uh, Like uh, when Trump lost, he lost by a lot of votes. Uh, He won the the other time. But uh, the GOP is trying to do things to throw votes out. Uh, slow people ways from getting to vote, getting rid of uh, drop boxes, uh, closing uh, polling places, uh, making it more difficult for you to vote. And see, that's, I did a video several days ago. It's up on Facebook now. And it's uh, it's talking about specifically the, the things that you can do for yourself to get aware and be aware of uh, your vote and, and, and the power of your vote. There's an, uh, a website, um, uh, it's uh, 411.org. You just dial, uh, type in 411.org slash put your state in or put your email address in or, or whatever you want to put in, and it will come up and show you every state in the union all the local races, uh, everything that you need to know about voting, how you get registered online. It just it just gives you the it, – it, it's sponsored by the, uh, the League of Women Voters, and uh, I have been uh, sharing it and posting it. And uh, it's also uh, uh, with this uh, broadcast here tonight as well. But the thing of it is, Ms. Kyle, we just got to get up off our dust, stop 
putting our head in the sand, talking about our vote don't count. It count more so now. Ooh. And even if you vote, it count. If you don't vote, it still counts. You see what I'm saying? Because oh, yeah. by you not voting, it shows your lack of interest. It shows, it shows yeah. just like you were talking about folks. It shows that you have forgotten about the struggle of the folks that were bloody and beat and 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 and, and just like Mr. Cunningham and and my daddy and other folks that that, that snuck folks down there and got them registered uh, when when Monroe Eichner was a sheriff and, and, and had to sneak people in to get them voting, get them registered and stuff oh. like that without the other white folks knowing it. It it and oh. It is so much history there of our struggle here in Monroe County. Um, mm-hmm. That's just like when when we did the first King celebration. Me and Mr. Fred Mims, Ezra Cunningham, um, two or three other people from up here. Oh, they gonna come tell y'all's house if they gonna do this. They gonna you ain't gonna have no job Monday, bro. I mean, all kind of stuff like that. And you know what? How Mr. Eddie Kernham was? You you didn't scare him. <laughs> no. <laughs> you just riled him up. Oh, um, yeah. I, I I I would like for you to talk about some of the events that you have been at the forefront the last several years. I, I see you did you you did the handoff so far as the prayer breakfast. I think that's a great thing. Uh, I think it was about two years ago, the last one I was at. And um, the Martin Luther King parade, the reason why we didn't do it this year because of the COVID and the situation involved in there and and looked like Monroe County just can't get out of the wine. The numbers keep going up and up. and uh, So we decided that we're going to do the voter information uh, uh, program. Uh, we got to sit down Thursday and line that all up. And uh, get some people and get get a key speaker, and um, follow the protocol. All these different things that you you need to do to get it done. But tell us briefly about someone. Not briefly, but in many details as you want to. You can be on long as you want to. We got a two hour live broadcast. <laughs> about some of the I was events. Hoping I could. Huh? <laughs> you, you, I was you hoping that. Huh? Um. Well, Mr. Howard, I was hoping that um, I could listen to someone else tonight. <laughs> I was just okay. ready to well, be feasting yeah. off of some. I was ready to be feasting off of somebody else, but I do the best that I can. Okay. Well, I, there was. I have reached out with, with the Juneteenth, and. Um, we started that up and realizing what Juneteenth meant, and you know, now it's considered a national holiday. Mm-hmm. And that's a wonderful thing, and I said that I'm sure the slaves are turning over and rejoicing over that, uh, the fact that they've been recognized. Uh, I also, I'm also thinking that a lot of us are still enslaved and and what and I know you probably wouldn't know exactly what I'm saying when I say enslaved. We're enslaved in our minds because mm-hmm. when you don't realize how important your vote is, then you're pretty much enslaved. You're enslaving yourself. 
Voting is very, very important. So we have been working with that for some years, and every year we walk, and uh, hopefully it would get the attention. But the first one that first walk that we did um, around Juneteenth, we talked about stop. And uh, I always felt as if in order to point out someone else's situation, you need to first clean up your situation. They would say, well, we're being killed by the policeman or whoever. But it, to me, it got my attention because I was thinking, what about what we're doing to each other? How are we not speaking out about us killing each other? It's not okay that we kill each other, but we have a whole lot to say about someone someone else is doing it. Now, I, I really have a problem with that. Um, I'm not afraid to say it because it. It's not said enough, and it's not enough emphasis put on that. I realize that people say black lives matter. I understand that, but to me, all lives matter. Mm-hmm. All lives matter. And if black lives matter, and I, you know, I know I might get something back on this, but really, at this point, it is what it is. If mm-hmm. black lives matter to you, then you should stop killing each other. Mm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm. Stop killing each other for no reason at all. And when you look on television and you, there's no reason. There are jobs opening up here everywhere. Signs are everywhere. There's no reason for you to be breaking in people's things, stealing and what they call it now, smashing and grabbing. I'm sure mm-hmm. you've seen that on television. Smashing and grabbing. Mm-hmm. Snatch and grab, or smash and grab, whatever. And mm-hmm. just to think about the, the drive-by shooting and the killing. Come on, if like, if our lives matter, why are you doing these things? Why are you saying so? We created the wall, and last year you you probably know we did do the wall. We was we was given the opportunity to have the Juneteenth celebration up on the square in Monroeville. And we had people to come out um, to speak, the mayor, uh, the sheriff, the clerk, and, you know, just we even received a proclamation from the governor, Governor Kay Ivey. And she also wrote our, the group that I'm, I was over at that time, my son Justin is president over that now. And she was compelling us to continue the work that we was doing in the community and addressing issues that really at hand that need to be addressed. And a lot of it is voting. You need to vote. You need to stop doing things to each other. But our first walk, let me back this, it was called stop. And the question was asked of me, what do you mean stop? And I told him stop meant stop doing anything that was a disadvantage to your community. Mm-hmm. Anything that was a disadvantage to your community. That's what we, you know, um, was walking for. You know, and I know, and I'm sure you saw every, well, at least two or three times, a, a, about three years ago, two or three times a month, we had people front page killing one another, mm-hmm. shooting up, and, and they were black. 
So I was asked that question at the city, uh, the council meeting at the city hall, and it was said, well, Ms. Kyle, what do you mean stop? Why do you want to do this walk? And I told him, I said, you read the newspaper just like we do, and you see what's happening. That's what we're saying stop for. If it wasn't wrong, you wouldn't have them in the newspaper. And if it wasn't wrong, you wouldn't have been locking them up. But we have to start being concerned about ourselves and cleaning up our own community and doing things that we need to do. I had, uh, let me share this with you. I had my son um, was questioned, and you know, Justin is with the governor, uh, Kay Ivey, and the question was asked of him, what are you all going to do about those policemen killing us? He said, I understand how you feel and what you mean by that, but there's another question I need to ask as well. What about us killing each other? And he said, this man said, well, that's different. And he asked the man, he asked the man, oh, yeah. He asked the man, says, well, what do you mean is different? You asking me what are we going to do about policemen killing us? But at the same time, when I ask you, what about us killing each other? In turn, he answered and said, that's different. And he said, he asked them, what do you mean that's different? That's killing. So it's kind of contradictory. It's okay that we kill each other, but it's not okay when the policeman was killing. And within a year's time, the same particular man's son was killed by another black man. Mm. So... His perspective is not the same about that anymore. And I said, that's really sad. Within less than, or right at a year, the one that made that statement, his son was killed by another black man. That's right. So he didn't look at it like that anymore. So he now knows what it means to be killed is just being killed. So. We actually need to clean up. Before we address somebody else's community, we need to address the issues that's in our community. It starts with us first. Would you agree with that? Mm-hmm. How do I clean up your yard and my yard is not clean up? That, mm-hmm. that, and see, we have, to, we have to face and look and be honest with those. It, it has gotten so bad now. With us, it's really sad to drive by shooting and just walking up, killing people. I was listening on the um, television where in Georgia where a 17-year-old went in a Walmart, and I assume this other young man was there um, working. Just went in there, 17 years old, and just shot another one, killing instantly. In Walmart, I think we need to clean up some of our. You know, we we need to. I feel, and I heard before Kobe Bryant died, he was interviewed, and and, and there was a white 
person that interviewed and asked him, said, would you like to speak on um, this race issue? And Kobe Bryant answered and said, I feel the answer to that is that we need to be knowledgeable. We need to be taught. We need to be knowledgeable of things. And you know what? I totally agree with them. I wonder would it make a difference, but I totally agree with them that we need to know more about our history mm-hmm. as to what our people went through. While we are where we are today, somebody as yourself paved the way. The things that you, Mr. Cunningham, Mr. Deacon H.B., and Mr. Willie Frank Marshall, Mr. James Marshall, the things that you all was the forefront, you all went out there getting people voted, but you all addressed issues in the black community to to others, to officials. You all addressed those issues. Had not you all did that, where would we be? I'm not mm-hmm. saying that we, it wouldn't be bad, but I'm saying you all addressed those issues without fear. And then sometimes we do things with fear, but we do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to be taught. They need to know what it took for you to get where you are today. I'm hoping that maybe if this is taught, when I said it would bring these things, you know, issues up in the school or being taught the history, the black history or what have you. But you know, Mr. Howe, we can teach our children at home as well. And if you don't teach them, there's, it's so much accessible to our children now, there's no excuse for us not to know. Because if exactly. you notice, and I know you do, they're learning everything else. Mm-hmm. But I feel, I, I totally agree with Cobra Bryant said we need to be taught. If you don't know, you need to know. When you go to, and I've said this in church, if you could go to that tree where the strange fruit hung and call out those people with those ropes around their neck and say, why were you hung? If you could go to those ashes and call out those people that was burned alive, say, why were you burned? If you could go to that river and call out those people that was tossed over into the river, and why were you tossed over into the river? They were probably simply because it was for you. I was trying to do the things that was paving the way for you. For you. Yeah. Those trees, you know, trees crying out where those strange fruits, and we know what the strange fruit was. Strange fruits were people hung and hanging from the trees. Those ashes where they was burned alive. And those rivers, if you could hear those voices, they come out from the river, the screams and the cries, they were doing all of that to be free. Now that we are free, what are we doing with them? Going back. We have went back. 
And then I said, well, we, we, if we went back, I don't, I don't look at our children as if they went back because our children don't know. It's up to those that know to teach them what happened and what went on. I asked someone, I took a, and I'm sure you probably know about this, I took a jar of jelly beans to his church. Mm-hmm. And I took a bar of soap. I didn't know about the soap until I went to the museum in Selma. I knew what the jar of jelly beans meant. But when I took it to these churches, I put some of them knew, and I put that jar of jelly beans there, and I asked them, I said, do you know, black people, what this jar of jelly beans represents? You know, I didn't really look for it now, you know. But what it represents was when they was given the right to vote. If you could not tell them suppression, what's going on now? If you could not tell them, you know what it was, how mm-hmm. many jelly beans was in that jar by looking at, oh, you don't vote, you're wrong, get out. And they might have come up with the exact number, but I'm almost sure they didn't even count how many jelly beans was in there anyway. It was just a game. It was a strategy thing to keep you from voting. If it wasn't important, they wouldn't have went to length to do things like that, to eliminate the black vote. Then there was cotton balls, same thing. But when I looked at, and it's, a, it's in a museum then in, in Selma, and I took pictures and I had, and I gave to some of the young people pictures. Let me show you what happened. And when I saw the bar of soap, Mr. Fred, <laughs> I said, now look. I asked the lady that was working in the museum, I said, now look. I know about Jelly beans. I knew about the cotton ball. Well, what is it about the soap? <laughs> I'm sure you know what that is, right? I know. I say, what? What is? This? She seemed a little bit reluctant because she was young. She's a young white girl, and she was reluctant. I didn't want her to feel uncomfortable, but you know, I I did know. I really did know. Maybe she thought because I was older and she was a young or white girl that I knew, but I didn't know. I really didn't. So I said, um, what does the soap represent? She said, they asked the question, how many soap suds <laughs> or bubbles or what have you? I don't know. Maybe you know bubbles, the term. Yeah. How many was it? What was it? In a bar of soap. Yeah, how many soaps uh, come out of a bar, a, a bar of soap? Or bubbles? Was it bubbles or, or subs? What was it? It's bubbles. Bubbles, okay. I'm, I'm, I think that she probably said something else, but I said, are you serious? And I think she began to get a little comfortable with she knew. I said, are you serious? Because I didn't know. I said, they don't know that themselves. Mm-hmm. He said, they, I said, they didn't know that themselves. Who counts the bubbles in a bar of soap? And she said, that's exactly what it was. They didn't know, didn't care. And whatever number you came up with, it was wrong. So you didn't get a chance to vote. You know the story. So I feel as if our children, if it would mean anything to them, they need to know. They need to be knowledgeable of their history. I've learned a lot through that. 
Excuse me. I was I was about to say um, when we do the um, voting information and um, project that we're going to be doing, it's going to be the same team that do the King Parade. What we're going to do? I just, as you were talking, I said that would be an excellent opening for that event. Put the bar of soap, the jelly beans, the cotton, all the different tricks tricks that they use to prevent you from voting up on a large table right where everybody can see it. And Mm -hmm. we need students, students, high school kids from probably seven up through twelve. And mm-hmm. and I'm 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 thinking uh that would be a powerful opening for uh the voter drive that we're gonna be doing. We wanna bring it in speakers. Won't. We we um and I'm gonna ask you this. I know you didn't see this coming, but I'm gonna ask you <laughs> when we meet on Thursday, um Talk a little briefly about that because that that's a powerful eye opener. It is it is so simple and cynical what the white brother has done, but guess what we have done as black people. Excuse me, we have bought into it. We have hmm. become inactive. It um, my vote don't count. I'm not, I'm not I'm not going to be able to get registered. I I I ain't got to vote. They're going to do what they want to anyway. It, <laughs> you'd be surprised even now when we'd be going out trying to get people registered. We hear the same thing, Miss Kyle. The same thing. I believe you. I believe you. But uh, go ahead and finish your comment. That you would that I interrupted on if you, if you if you no you didn't interrupt me because I told you I was ready to be feasting as well but I I think about the question was asked with this Black History I started that last year so we work right now is due to some health issues I had to cut back but we're still working with the Juneteenth I love. It getting into the, and I, about this voting. Now, I feel this now, Selma, if people could go there, Selma has several exhibits of voting. They took a lot of pictures in that area back in the day, and I have some of those pictures um, of people happy and to know that they can vote, although we still issues and uh, roadblocks fund, but they were older people, young people, but mainly older people were out standing in long lines with coats on and they were cold, but they wanted to cast their vote. That was that was just so interesting to me. So what I try to do is um I try to deal a lot with the voting issue to at hand, but history. So I try to use that platform of, of with the 
Facebook of trying to get information out there to the young people. And in turns, I'm learning as well. But what mm-hmm. really my attention was, the young girl saw me at the courthouse and she says, Miss Cow, she said, some of the things that you had on that, I had no idea. And when I'm at work, she works in an office. She said, I try to sneak and see what you be to put out there because I had no idea of knowing some of the things that you've put out there. But some of those things will talk to me. But um, she asked a question, <laughs> and it was really, you know, it just got my attention when she said, when did we go from Eagles, because we were saying Union High Eagles, it was Union High Eagles. I never got a chance. The year that I supposed been going to Union High, that's when they integrated the school. So I never made it to Union High. But I was very familiar with it because we live behind the school. And Reverend Fletcher Davis was uh, a neighbor. and He was the custodian there. And we would work up there. Uh, another young lady in the neighborhood, we would go there and clean up. So that's how I knew a lot about Union High. And then I was swimming all the time down at the pool. We have lost a lot of things that went on with us. It, it's just, I don't, I, I don't understand what has happened educational-wise. I remember your wife know my sister, Mary. They was in college together. Mm-hmm. And my sister, Mary, would take me to what they call the summer school program. And in the summer school program, on Thursday, if you wanted to and had, they had permission from the parents, they would take you to the swimming pool and teach you how to swim. I learned to swim when I was the <laughs> You know who taught me to swim? Mr. C.P. Carmichael. Mr. <laughs> C.P. Carmichael. And um, he taught me along with others. So I started swimming when I was very young. But it was something to do. You learn that, and because she worked there, and my mother had to work, so she would take me to work with her, and because she was working there during the summer, and she would take me to school with her, and that's how I learned to swim. So I, our children, there's so many activities and so many things that I wish was back into the community for our children to give them things to. Do I wish we had a center, um, Mr. Howard, where our children can learn more about black history? I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but I think that was a platform that I could use. But when the young girl, young lady asked me, when did it go from, she said, I was confused. When did it go from eagles to tigers? <laughs> Well, for one thing, eagles existed and tigers too, but we was eliminated and had to become a tiger. So we we had to not be an eagle anymore, but I think Shields was always panthers, right? Were you all always panthers? We were cats at first. Oh, really? Now, see, mm-hmm. I didn't know that. <laughs> really? C-A-T, cats. C A T cats. That's my first yeah. time ever hearing that. That was oh, really wow. nice. 
Wow. <laughs> and, and what was the name? Beatrice was it cat. Beatrice, Beatrice cat. But now I have a <laughs> Well look. I have a ticket that was given to me when I was real young that came from Union High where that where it was Union High and I don't think it was JF Shields, but it was Beatrice on the mm-hmm. ticket. The ticket was fifty cents. The football game, yeah. You know, um, now that's a that's a new one. I'm gonna have to allow you to tell me more about that so I can um, post that because I'm sure some of I've never heard that. Um, yeah. yeah, I never heard that one before. That's a new one. Yeah, I got TNT, it from Mr. Everett. I got it from Mr. Everett before he passed. Um, wow! Yeah, I had I've I've had the opportunity, I missed the opportunity to interview a lot of the old folks. I missed the opportunity to interview Mr. Averett. I got Mr. Bob Crawford. Okay. I got Mr. H. Um, B. William. Yeah. I got a small amount of Mr. Cunningham through the Pacer Corporation. Uh, I got. Uh, Jerome Sanders. I got Mr. McIntosh. You know, McIntosh used to be principal up here who passed. I got him. Right. He passed, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I, I got Mr. H.B. several times. And um, what I want to tell you is that when you get an opportunity, uh, go to my uh, radio website, How uh, C Production Gospel. And then okay. when you go to the search for House C Production Gospel, you know, you go to the page. I got over almost two thousand plus two thousand plus broadcasts over the over the fifteen to twenty years I've been doing it. Okay. Just type in Mr. H. B. Williams. Okay. You will find listen to them interview, you will find out so much history about Monroe County and, and what he went through, what him and, and the nanny went through when when, when right. they mm-hmm. shut him out at the Board of Education. And, he and when told he found me it, some things. Huh? He told me several things and his wife. We're pretty close. Yeah. Um, yeah but let me, because I don't want to forget this. When you asked me about some of the things I've been working with, also, too, I've worked with the Rosenwald School, and I know that you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. I've had, I set out to get a historical marker for the Monroeville Rosenwald School that I attend, and we have been awarded that. It's just a matter of having it placed. Um also, where the school is now, the street have been named Rosenwald. Uh, that street is named that, and we will be soon placing a marker there. But in working, trying to pursue the marker, it takes a lot of research. Mm-hmm. Lots of research in doing those Rosenwalds. Although they're aware of them and they're markers all over the southern states of the Rosenwald, you have got 
to give them as much detail and information as possible to be able to get those markers. So it took me a little over a year. Probably wouldn't have took quite as long. I was a little slow with it. But it took me right at about a year to get that to go through. And So the Board of Education was awarded the certificate to get that historical marker. Um, so many people didn't realize that where the Board of Education is now, that is part of that building is a Rosenwald school. Yep, sure is. And it's a black school. But in my research and so many things, which had to do it in order to get there. So she helped a lot. The lady there in, in Montgomery helped a lot. But there were several Rosenwalds in the county, including Beatrice. Mm-hmm. And also still standing, I, if, if it's not torn down, that building that was the head start in Turner Spring. Mm-hmm. When Miss Matthew, Miss Lucia Matthew, yep. the director, that was Rosemont Bill. I remember awesome. having to go there. Is it still there? Mm-hmm. Not well, the original, that, not the original, the gym part. But what what's there now is the the new brick part and the. Uh, what they added on, but the old cafeteria, um, um, I used to um, uh, play for uh, dances in that old part, but that that that's that didn't come down. Oh, it's but, torn um, down because I remember it would be yeah. in the cafeteria for the head start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cafeteria. Okay. It's in not the there anymore. No. It, well, you know, it, it, somebody didn't know that that's historical. That's a historical site. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it, that was, a, that was, oh, my goodness. I remember that being there. Um, and I found out then that that was the Rosenwald building. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember the Rosenwald down there where you were talking about. When my daddy, mm-hmm. uh, Willie Howard, used to take my oldest uh, sister, uh, Otherwise, when she first started, uh, she got out of A&M. That's where she started out at. Oh, really? She used to oh. down there to go down there to take her to, to, to her job, that old road and wall building. I was told that I was told that Gwendolyn Richardson's grandfather had a lot to do with helping getting the school started and possibly, is that in Beatrice? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And possibly was one of the ones that met Booker T. Washington. Uh, when he was, I was told that he came to be asked. Yeah, Booker T. Washington and Rosenwald were working together. Yeah, and 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 the, Gwen can tell you that story verbally. Uh, Mary redid an article in the in in the newspaper that we published. Um, okay. And uh, what happened, Mr. Mac Johnson? 
as her granddad, walked. See, they were competing to see who going to get to school. Mr. Mike Johnson left and ate it with the amount of money that they had raised to get it down to the Monroe County Board. He left and walking. And he and when they opened up the door that morning, at whatever time they opened up the offices down there, he was sitting on the steps with the money. I was First told one. that he got up early that morning and walked. That is. To Monroe. Yeah. Sure did. And gave them the money that part mm-hmm. to get that food started. Mm-hmm. Now that's history. That's a man of tenacity. You know that 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 those are the stories our children need to know about. Mm-hmm. Those are the stories that yeah. they need. That's that's an awesome story. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. But I was told it was Gwen Richardson's grandfather. Yeah. Or great-grandfather, I wasn't sure. So you all still have your papers? Yeah, we, um, uh, you you know, um, Gwen, I would like for you sometime to talk to Mary. Mary, I go out and do the legwork, like getting stories, uh, interviewing people. uh, um, But Mary do the final, putting it all together, the first then we send it off to the editors uh, there in um, Birmingham and, and the other guy in, uh, I think it's in, but anyway, the two editors that are over our papers, there's four papers. And, uh, but what we've run into, Gwen, Gwen, is that the lack of black folks' interest. Hmm. I, I I know you tell me it's the just, truth. It's just, it's just, it is so puzzling. I, I guess not. I, I know. Understand. I, exactly. I know how you feel because that's the way it is. And and I wasn't going to mention it. That's the way it is with that, the Black History page, the Monroe County. County Black History page. When I Monroe County Black History page mm-hmm. you put it there there seemed to be a lack of interest and you know you have other people um they just want to see what you put and they're not going to like it or what have you it would be good if you know that they're interested but however when you know that it's something that you got to do regardless to whether someone like it or not you got to put it there because mm-hmm. i know and i'm aware that some of them they're not going to like it because it's you that's doing it and um, when I say you, I'm talking about me because I'm doing it. That's yeah. not important to me. What's important to me is that I put it there. But I don't stop simply because I know it's valuable. I know that it's important. And I'm also aware that there are people reading it. They're looking at it. But they're not going to like it because... She put it out there, and I really don't like her. I mean, you wouldn't even know it. It could be possible to people you don't, you don't even know. But you know that deep down inside, you got to do it. As, as Larry Snowden often sang this song in church, a charge to keep by half a God to glorify. So when you're charged by God to do something, you do it, and it doesn't matter. Whether you like it, because you won't get off the page. 
you stay there. You just watch everything I'm doing. But sometimes it's not so much as a lack. It is with our young people, but that's our fault. It's for it's the lack of interest. But there are others that are interested. It's just the fact that it's you. Mm-hmm. They have, they're not doing it, and you're doing something, and they don't like it. I mean, I, I don't get that doggy type, you know, at, well, we have that. It is that I don't want the bone, and, and, and I don't like you carrying it either. You mm-hmm. know, you're not going to do anything, but you don't like what somebody else is doing. This is history, and I know what. You all are put in there. People need to know. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to let you know that they're interested. They're not going to. They, and it's, it's so important. It's very important. I was told that there was someone, and I'm sure you know who this is. I don't know. But I know Miss Edith Crook, somebody in her family had a newspaper. I was just blown by that. Oh, yeah. Um, back in the day, maybe in the 20s or the 30s. But the lack of interest, I understand that. I understand. But now, is the things that it appears to me that they are more interested in that have don't have any value to it. But mm-hmm. that that you need, um, and I know some of them probably wouldn't like what I'm saying, but you know, at my age and and the charge that I have, I'm afraid I really don't care anything about that. They're into the fingernails and everything else and shaking it and moving it and, and doing what they're doing and posting stuff, you know, which is fine. And it appears they get more likes for stuff like that than knowing who they are. Mm-hmm. I'd, be, I'd be so glad to look and See who did what before me that have paved the way for me, and and not only would it affect me, it affect my children too. But you know that's where we are as as a black people now. That's where we are. Yeah. But I'm sure you know that's a charge that's in you, and we just have to keep doing what we have to do. You know, be doing it. Mean, and just and, go uh, on and do it. And the thing about it, it's uh, with me, Miss Miss Kyle, it's a, uh, it's it's something inside of you. Oh yeah. And it it just keep coming out, and you you gotta write it, you gotta speak it, you gotta record it, you gotta, you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, I know. It's that charge that's in you. Yeah. It's it's a it's like Larry Snow sings often a charge to keep I have that charge is in you that you're gonna have to answer to mm-hmm. you gotta answer to it I, I I think about and I'm not trying to preach or anything but I think about the scripture in the Bible where the man said I have finished my course and and that's my thing. I was telling someone the other day, and I want you to do some talk. I was telling someone the other day, the most important thing to me in my life now 
is that I'm living out the purpose in which I was placed here. Because at the end of the all of it is you got to answer to God for the things that he has placed in you to do. You do not have to answer to man. But you got to answer to your creator as well as the one that is in opposition to you. They mm-hmm. got to answer. So that shouldn't be our concern about what they do or they don't do. You, We just have to do what the Lord tells us to do. When he said, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith, now I'm ready to be offered up. Now that's saying something. I remember in the speech, and you probably was there that year, at the Dr. King where he was said, I would like to live a life of longevity. Mm-hmm. Dr. King, that was his last speech. He said, but I'm not worried about that now. That man's purpose had been fulfilled. It had. He knew he could feel it. But for us, if we could say, you know, I've done what I was set here to do, and you feel within yourself that now that's the most that is the most important thing to me in my life is that I fulfill the purpose. I had a daughter to tell me some years ago. She says, "Mom." She said, you know what? When I go before the Lord, I want to be totally empty. Well, I looked at her and I'm like, well, what is she talking about? So I asked her, so what do you mean? She said, I want to be an emptied out everything that God has placed in my life. So when I go before him, I'm empty. I did not hold on to anything that he had placed in me, all the gifts, all the talents, the purpose in which he had placed in me that I have exhausted those things. And so when I go before him, I'm empty and ready to be filled by him. Now that really stuck at me in every chance and opportunity that I get to tell that that was so profound to me. I share that. And that's what our main concern should be is emptying out and exhausting every avenue of the things that God has placed in our life. We discouraged. We, we, Nehemiah was discouraged when he had to go and build up the wall. When God tell you to do something, your way is already made, but it doesn't mean that you're not going to have obstacles. You can look for that. But mm-hmm. when those men went to Nehemiah and wanted him to come down, he said, I can't come down. Oh, come I'm doing the work for the Yeah. And so that's the way it is with us, Mr. Fred. We're going to have to keep doing what we're doing because our concern should be is I do not want to go before my creator and have not emptied out everything that he done placed in me to do on this earth. So... I haven't always felt that it was, but maturity will get you there. You, the lack of interest, you go, why am I working and doing all of this? And they don't seem to be interested in it. And it's things that don't really have that much of value 
to it that they seem to be grasping to or feasting on. Mm -hmm. But the things that I have learned about even my people, my ancestors, it has caused me to be appreciative. Mm -hmm. Very appreciative. And I value much of the things that I've learned, even about my family. Mm -hmm. Um, What they did, and I never had to bring logs in for a fire. I never had to really go out to the outhouse. I would have been scared. I mean, (laughs) but, but although I didn't do those things, I am so appreciative of my people. My people, and, and, and I love my black people. I'm going to be honest with you, I do. I smile at them sometimes when I look and say, you know, we are not all the same, but to just accept people for who they are when they are kind and they are loving. And even if they're not, and you see the opportunity to just offer some type of hope to mm-hmm. people, you know, that that's what's important. Um but I wonder where we're going. Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here with the buildings? Well, I mean, what do we do, Mr. Howard? Where do we go from here? I where do we go? I, I watch the things I watch in MSNBC, CNN. I watch a lot, and but in the, I think some situations on there are so sad. And I said, why would they be trying to do that? Why is this? Why are they calling right wrong and wrong right? All those things. But then I get, I go to another level of being sad when I say, but our people's not even paying any attention. And and, and you know what, Miss Kyle? The truth of the matter is, God is on his way back. Satan is angry, and he's going to raise all the hell he can. And guess what we need to do? Keep pumping out the truth. Keep pumping out the truth. I got a, I got an interview coming up. Coy Sanders uh, called me the other day and said that a lady called him from, I don't know if it's California or Chicago or somewhere, and was wanting to know about getting out her story about uh um, Beatrice, uh, old gymnasium and the new gym and the different stuff like that and how it transpired and what brought it about. So I got her number here. I'm going to be calling her this week. I don't know who she is or what she know, but I do know one thing. When I got on the school board in 1992, I was a source of hatred for the present board members because I used to write editorials to the Monroe Journal. I mean, I was listening. And one of the hardest hit editorials I ever done was that I took pictures of J.L. Shields' restrooms and bathrooms at the school and compared them to Holman Prison. And God bless, Holman Prison bathrooms were better than J.F. Shields High School bathrooms. Oh, wow. And ran the story in the newspaper. Mm. 
old man um, that used to run that newspaper. Man, every time I come in there with one, he said, don't worry about it, Mr. Howard. We edited it and printed it. That was the old man that run the Monroe Journal. Mike Quarles and then would be bickering over and going over. He said, no, we're going to print it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. We're going to print it. And I remember when I first got on the school board, they had been promising the new gym up here at JFC for nearly 20-some years to be athletes. Hmm. And the first question I asked all them enemies in that, because I, when, I, when I won and got seated on the board, I met with Mr. Andrew, Willie Frank Marshall, Floyd Daly, and uh, what was, who was the third member? But anyway, I met with him at the office. Met Reverend Brown. And I said, the first question I asked Miss Gwen was, do you all still want the gym? And guess what my first project when I got to school board was? To get that gymnasium. Wow. When we mm. finally got that gymnasium, it was the first time I cussed at the newspaper, at the board, sitting at the board. I cussed. And and, and the old man that was in the news, uh, he told Mike Warner, don't print it. You don't print it. Don't print what he said. You just print the story. Don't don't print what he, that he cussed. And guess what? It wasn't in the paper. The problem oh, okay. was when we got the gym finished, they claimed that they didn't have the money for the bleachers. What the hell are you going to have a gymnasium? You ain't got bleachers in it? <laughs> so I told them, I'll get the damn money myself. And I did. Went out and got nearly six to $70,000 for them bleachers. But thank the Lord. I didn't know that. <laughs> I did. Guess who it came from? I did. Hank Sanders, Thomas Jackson. And Vanity Fair. Wow. Three checks. Mm. <laughs> well, and, uh, I feel that whatever it is like when you're saying that, my mind went back to the fact that when, whenever God tells a person to do something, just go do it. It's already taken care of. Mm-hmm. Um, your way was already made. You know, it's just a matter of just knowing when the Lord tells you to do something that the way is already made, so it's just a matter of doing it. But I think in the process you learn a lot about people and and situations that helps you go to another level in the process. Because I'm sure Nehemiah realized, you know, and maybe asked the question, why do they're not building this wall? So why would they want me to come down? Mm-hmm. So that's the way it is in a, in a lot of cases today. You get a more kickback, but you you look at, as my sister, one of my old sisters would say, when always consider the source. Whether it's good or bad, consider the source. Always consider the source. So 
when a person comes to you with negative or bad vibes and you look around and you go, well, what are they doing? They just want to stop progress. You know, and then you have people in turn come with good vibes and good advice for you to help you along the way. So I think when the Bible tells you that when the sons of God came before the Lord, Satan came also, yes, we sir. need to keep that in mind. Where you been, Satan? We need to keep it. <laughs> you know, Satan came also, so we got to need to keep that in mind. When God tells you to do something, that he got the way made for you, but Satan coming also. Right there. He's coming. Well, Miss Gwen, let me tell you something. I have enjoyed this hour and 15 minutes with you. Um, Thank you. I didn't know I was going to be the one talking here. <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to sit and just feast on. Well, well let me ask you this. Wait, wait. Uh, your papers, how how regular are they coming out, and, and what is the price yeah, of them? We, we do how them every, do we do them every three months. We 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 behind with the January January paper January um, paper. Okay. But we it, it will be out soon. Um, okay, so how much are these, and where do you purchase them? They they two dollars they two dollars a piece. Okay. Um, that's because it costs us so much to print them. Um, okay. And uh, we're looking for uh, subscription people that want to take subscription out for them. And uh, um, I, I need you to give Mary a call. Uh, I'm okay. gonna tell you something. Miss um, Miss Tucker has agreed to be one of our um, uh, editors, and you know, like somebody doing an article, she look at it and you know edit it and help Mary out with editing. Okay. And that's and Mary. Yeah, my wife Mary. She's and that's seven eight nine twenty four twenty four. That's a okay. that's, that's a telephone number. But um, it's just me and her. It's it's four or five was started out, but it's just me and Mary now. And, okay, uh, that's seven eight it, nine twenty four twenty four. Mhm. That's the number that I can contact. Well, I I we talk and we communicate. She do. Mary do beautiful work for us, uh, mm-hmm. for me, and uh, I can I know how to get in touch with her. But I appreciate it. I just didn't know whether you all were still doing it, or you know, or do you all mail them out to people, or, or you have we mail them out? There? We mail okay. them out. Okay. Um, uh, up here in Beatrice, you can get them at the service station across from up here for the school. You can get them at Whitaker okay. Drug downtown there in Beatrice. I didn't know that. I sure yeah. did. But anyway, uh, I'm going to get in touch with her, and I appreciate it. And thank you for having me on your radio station. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I was looking thing. to sit down and speak. That's another thing. Do you know I have nearly 200,000 listeners worldwide? <laughs> well, <laughs> I didn't realize Most people that. don't even know the station is here. <laughs> Oh my goodness! So I'm sure I might have said something wrong. Like no, you that. did. I, all right. was, <laughs> I didn't realize that, but you know, I was speaking how I, I felt, and I hope I didn't blunder over anything. And 
and I hope no. that radio and, and, and television is just what it is. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much, Ms. Howard. I think I got a bit comfortable talking to you. <laughs> but um, I hope I didn't offend anybody, but if I did, Don't it worry was about it. Love. They, 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 yeah. it, they need to hear it, whatever it was. <laughs> oh, well, you know. I realize the Bible said a man that don't offend, same as a, as a perfect man. So, hey, I'm sure along the line I have because I'm not perfect. I'm yeah. perfectly imperfect, but, you know, um, I didn't mean any harm. is all out of love, but mm-hmm. it is what it is. But, well, I'm going to close out the program. You give me okay. your last comments. Give me your last closing comments, and I'm going to close it out with uh, I'm going to do a an introduction uh, for Mr. H.B. Williams, Ms. Nanny Ruth Williams, um, their their program, their uh, interview lasts about 70-some minutes, so it'll take us all the way out to um, uh, 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 12 o'clock, I believe it will, because we started at 8. It's a three-hour three hour okay. program, 8, 9, 10. Okay. Take us all the way out to 11 o'clock. So give me your closing remarks. Uh, first, let me say I thank you. I really do thank you. You're welcome. And uh, I look forward to us, uh, if you have time, Thursday evening at 4 o'clock at the the office to the right there. We're just going to be in there getting ready, planning for the uh, uh, voting. Uh, 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 I wouldn't say a voting drive, but it's going to be all about voting and getting out to vote. Okay. Okay. So you 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 got the flow, and uh, then I'll go into Mr. Williams and Miss Nanny's uh, interview. Okay. Okay. Uh, I would like to say thank you, and I appreciate the opportunity. I didn't realize that I would be the one that you just directly, you know, the only one you were just talking to. But I would leave it like this here, and this is the thought that comes in my mind. There's a scripture in the Bible, and and it says, "Take the old path." And I'm a firm believer in whatever God say is so. Um, we need to take the old path. And then there's a word in the that in the Bible where the Lord was telling the children of Israel to teach your children when they rise up, as they walk along the way, and as they lay down. And to what that's really saying to interpret that is as often as you can, the Lord says, to teach them from whence we came and what God has done for us. And that's what we're supposed to always do. The Bible is history. Our lives and where we come from is history and that we need to teach our children history so that they will know where they come from and where they're going. And that really says a lot. We need to take the old path and and that we need to stick with what the Word of God says and because it's not going anywhere. The Bible says heaven and earth will pass away before any jot or tilt of his word pass away. So it's not going anywhere. And he also said, let every man be a lie and God be true. So we need to abide by what the Lord say doing and work while it's day. Because when night cometh, no man can work. And that's it. And thank you again, Mr. Howard, for allowing me to... Uh, 
talk with you and you talk with me. That's a blessing with that itself. All right. Ms. Gwendolyn Kahn, um, Monroe County Black History, um, Facebook page, Dealing with Black History in Monroe County. Um, check it out on Facebook. And, uh, again, thank Ms. Gwendolyn Clouds for being our guest tonight on Black History in Monroe County. We're going to go to um, back to the studio. We have an interview coming up that we did some while ago. It runs about 70 minutes. It's two parts. We got two intros, so I'm going to do both of them. One is about two minutes and 49 seconds, and the other one is about two minutes and 13 seconds. They may be repeating the same information, but it's the intro for Mr. H.B. Williams and Ms. Nanny Ruth Williams, who went through some hell in in Monroe County. He was a teacher over at uh, Packers Bend, and he was qualified to do one job, and he decided that he was not going to do that job because they were doing something to him that was racial. So he fought. He fought for a number of years, and a number of people came to his rescue. My father and other folks helped him. But in the end, the Monroe County Board of Education had to ante up and pay for all that denials that they had put in over him and over the years in the position that he was seeking. But anyway, this is Alabama Civil Rights History. An interview Mr. H.B. Williams and Ms. Nanny Ruth Williams. It was recorded back in 2017, and it runs about 70-some minutes. And uh, we thank you for listening for the broadcast tonight, Monroe County Civil Rights History, Mr. H.B. Williams, Nanny Ruth Williams, and our special guest has been Ms. Gwendolyn Cobb. On behalf of us, all here at Housey Internet Radio, we're located at 231 6th Avenue, down south here in the big city of Beatrice, Alabama. We have about 2,000 listeners worldwide. You find us on Facebook, on uh, Reverb Nation, on Mixcloud, uh, all over the internet. And all you got to type in is the hashtag H O W C E E. And you'll find all you need to know about House C Production Gospel Radio. On behalf of all of us, enjoy your Sunday and have a great Monday.
coming from Notre Monroe County, civil rights history, that is, with Mr. H.B. Williams and Miss Nanny Ruth Williams. We want to thank you for being here with us. You can call us and be part of the conversation at 1-347-202-0317. You can just listen at 1-619-639-4634 are at one seven one three nine five five zero four six four. The civil rights history and life here in Monroe County. When you talk about turning it around, God, Jesus can really turn it around. We want to thank Mr. H. B. William and his wife, Nanny Ruth William, his daughter Andretta, and his son Warren Williams. And a little bit of history for you. Mr. H. B. William was in the first band at Alabama State University back in 1948. We have a picture posted here. Also, his sister was the first female in 1948, a years later, the first female as part of Alabama State's strong marching band history. Stay with us as we talk to Miss Nana Ruth Williams and Mr. H.B. Williams. Civil rights history, Monroe County, Alabama. Stay with us. I'm your host, Freddie Howard, coming to you from 231 6th Avenue. I have two people in the studio that knows me from way back, Mr. H.B. William and his wife, Ms. Nanny William. We are going to be talking about years and years of their relationship with this community, their relationship in civil rights, the struggles that they have went through brought them to this day here. Uh, July the 31st, 2017. Mr. William is a civil rights worker, going back working with Mr. H.B. William and Mr. Cunningham. Um, his nanny has been a musician, has been supported of Mr. H.B. William for years and years and years, and they are here to talk about some of the challenges that they have had to face uh, in their years here in this country we call America. Mr. William, Ms. William, welcome to House of the Gospel, and this is a historic day. Um, I was telling you all before we got started that I should have taken this opportunity with Mr. Ezra Cunningham, but um, God did not see fit. But I said to myself, I would not allow that to happen with you, Mr. Williams and Ms. Williams. Good evening and welcome. You all can start back as far as you want to go, uh, Mr. Williams. Your first coming to this community and uh, your relationship with the NAACP, uh, all the organizations that you've been associated with for years and years. Uh, again, welcome. Thank you, Fred. Call America. Mr. William, Ms. William, welcome to House of the Gospel. And this is a historic day. Um, 
I was telling you all before we got started that I should have taken this opportunity with Mr. Ezra Cunningham, but uh, God did not see fit. But I said to myself, I would not allow that to happen with you, Mr. Williams and Ms. Williams. Good evening and welcome. You all can start back as far as you want to go. Uh, Mr. Williams, your first coming to this community and uh, your relationship with the NAACP, uh, all the organizations that you've been associated with for years and years, uh, again, welcome. Thank you, Fred. I guess, first of all, I would start back probably before I was directly involved in any civil rights activities. Uh, a good friend of mine and all of ours, and Papa Chat, who was the father of the civil rights movement in this kind of state, Gerald Cunningham. Charles, who was a nephew, I believe, of Elvis, and I were classmates, schoolmates at Alabama State. And my first association with Brother Cunningham was on weekends when we needed a ride home. The other would always come up and uh, pick us up in this county. And of course, then that necessitated a movement that I had to defend myself in a means of trying to recapture my position, uh, my employment uh, in this area, which uh, as a result of uh, assistance from Brother Cunningham and from uh, local organizations and some of the organizations that already existed, such as the NAACP, but then there was uh, organizations here in the county that uh, Cunningham was affiliated with, and which we organized uh, later on, that was responsible for supporting me for 10 years uh, during the time that I was uh, unemployed, uh, directly unemployed, so far as the Board of Education was concerned. Okay, uh, Mr. Williams. Yes. Go back to. Um um, the year, if you can remember, the year that you was employed over at uh, Monroe Intermediate now, which we call Packers Bend, across the river, to that, it, when that first um, began, um, if you can remember that year, there are stories uh, written in newspapers. I have some of them on file here. But if you can, just recapture from what you said and go back to starting at that year, what year that that this was beginning. I know this uh, after schools were integrated, but um, go back yeah. to that year if you can recall that uh, year. My wife may have to help me out with some of these dates, but uh, I may go a little further back. I, I, just an old view. I taught about four years as principal at uh, Purdue Hill before that school was closed, and then I was transferred to Frisco City. I taught the classroom there a couple of years. And after that time, I was transferred to uh, Redenburg. Well, I started off at Tom Springs in '54. 1954. That was my mm -hmm. first uh, employment at Tom Springs. And after all that, then I was transferred over to uh, Low Peachtree, which I served until such time that I was, well, I mentioned Redenburg mm -hmm. and Purdue Hill. Started at Purdue Hill, Frisco City, uh, Tom Springs, Dredenburg, yeah. and uh, 
getting back to a little piece three as possible. Uh, I think my basically we may go to the point where I was finally dismissed as principal by the Board of Education uh, because of my civil rights activities, which were not so very much at that time, but uh, being affiliated with Ezra Cunningham, which was uh, very strong in civil rights movement, I automatically was branded a civil rights activist. And of course, I had no objections to it because I knew that what was going on was rightfully what needed to uh, take place. And if we were going to ever overcome that problem, somebody had to step up and uh, help Mr. Cunningham, who had done a wonderful job in civil rights movements. And anytime anybody was branded at that time as being an association with Ezra Cunningham, you became a hitman all of a sudden. And of course, I was well aware of that when we took on this position. We didn't just start that way, but it started kind of accidentally. As I started off saying, I was in college at that time with his nephew. I think it's his nephew, Charles. He used to come up on weekends and pick us up and bring us home free. So naturally, we became uh, appreciative of the services that he was giving us. And uh, he didn't have to take us back. We could always get back on our own. Mm -hmm. But uh, every weekend, most weekends that we wanted to come, he was available to uh, get us home and back if we had to use him. He was very open-hearted. And we began to appreciate him as a leader and as a associate and even as uh, a relative, because Charles was his nephew, and of course he treated us both the same, so I began to think of him as an uncle of mine, just like Charles did. But this is basically what got me involved, because later on Charles left the county. But uh, when I graduated from college and got a job here, I began to still affiliate and associate because I recognized that what he was doing was worthwhile and it was certainly a, 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 a something that was uplifting uh, my people, uh, not only in Monroe County, but in the state of Alabama and in the South. So uh, this is basically what uh, got me involved into the civil rights movement. And as a result of my affiliation with him, uh, and as I mentioned that we started off teaching at Tunnel Springs, and of course, at that time, it was just not popular for a teacher or a person employed by the Board of Education to be active in the NAACP and other civil rights organizations. But at the same time, we never let that detour us, because we knew the value of what those organizations could do toward moving our people forward. So we naturally participated, and of course, as expected, we eventually lost our job as a result of that. And uh, of course, we were out of the teaching business for 10 years, but we continued to uh, perform and work seriously with the uh, civil rights movement. And of course, we filed a suit against the Board of Education for the unemployment. And uh, after 10 years of unemployment, 
our suit was uh, considered and the court ruled in our favor and of course we were paid for 10 years back pay and re-employed and given a position as principal in Monroe County, which we sued uh, diligently for the rest of our active term and we retired uh, as a principal in this county. And life in general was at first difficult. My wife and family was very close and we worked as a team and we were able to survive. She, of course, had a perfect job and helped and took care of many uh, of the obligations that we had. And we never, we fortunately, and thank God for that, we never lost any property or any forms or anything that we had so far as making a decent living was concerned. And we had owned a couple of houses and lots, which we still maintain until this date. And it was a blessing from God and assistance from our friends and organizations, especially NAACP, uh, B10, Alabama New South, and all the other organizations that we have been affiliated with that kept us above the water. And we're grateful for our opportunity to have had an opportunity rather to uh, work with Brother Cunningham because he was truly uh, the backbone of the civil rights movement in Monroe County in particular. Um, Ms. William, um, in your relationship uh, being supportive of Mr. William, give us a little taste of um, what that was like to know when that um, dealing and fighting the issues of civil rights. Uh, I'm going back to um, Mr. H.B. William, uh, third from the left here in the picture, um, where he was an uh, activist in the first uh, civil rights uh, civil rights uh, uh, NAACP organization here at Monroe County. That was back in 1963. Being supportive of him and his endeavors and what he was out there doing, Tell us a little bit about what that was like so far as in the family structure and keeping the kids and, and, and knowing that he was out there on that road or, or dealing with situations where our white brothers was not pleased at what he was doing. Going back to those days, I say, it wasn't easy. It was never easy. Mm -hmm. But we had a close relationship with God. That was, I guess that that was the main thing, the main issue that kept me strong and our family strong because all of this was going on. Yes, we had to tell our children these things was happening, but they didn't understand it. But they stood with us too. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. It was very fearful and scary. A lot of people don't believe that because working with civil rights is a dangerous game mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. And and you don't know when they're coming after you. Mm -hmm. The one thing that came to my mind, but we stood we stuck together. We had to we had to stick together because it was a promise that whatever my husband went through, 
we had to live through it for the weeks. We 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 done without a lot of things, of course, you know, but that was part of the the movement. Mm-hmm. We had to suffer. Yes, we did. It wasn't easy, but like he was saying, we we had a lot of good friends that came to our rescue and helped us while we were going through our struggle. And our parents was right there for us too. And that's one. That's another thing that really helped us. That they were there for us. They never turned their backs on with them. They were scared like everybody else, you know. But in um, our overall, we uh, we discussed it. We we had to discuss a lot of times. I was not told of things that was happening, but sometimes I get it from other people. Mm-hmm. But then I had to, you know, ponder it in my heart, as the Bible said, until it blew over mm-hmm. but one thing that kept us there we knew that one day mm-hmm. this thing would be over which it will never be over now you know because it's still moving today mm-hmm. and to me I feel like it's getting it's worse but we are not by ourselves anymore but like everybody's involved in this movement thing so we stay, we hanging in there trying, to, and, and we have had a lot of prayers and stand on God's side, mm-hmm. and that's what kept me strong. Mm-hmm. In 1950, in 1950, when the state of Alabama outlawed the NAACP, mm-hmm. can either one of you, uh, especially you, Mr. William, Talk about that, the fact that you all had established the NAACP chapter and you all, this picture that we looked at earlier was taken over there in Packers Bend, which was across the river. Can you remember in 1950 um, what that was like, knowing that you all were part of an organization that the state of Alabama had outlawed? Well, yes, uh, it really was a problem, but then on the other hand, it did it just created a, a detour type of program that we had. We realized that uh, even though it wasn't legal that operated in the state, but it had established a mindset, and particularly with Eric Cunningham and Frank Marshall and James Marshall and several others of our leaders, little bumpers and a bunch of them over in the Packers being able, that we realized that with the name of NAACP or not, we had personal obligations to carry on as if it was still in existence. And it didn't really stop our activity. It just stopped us probably for a moment from using the, the name of NAACP. But in our hearts, we knew that we were still operating, we were still functioning, we still were doing the things that was necessary to do to keep our people uh, officially organized and working in the various communities all over the county. Mm-hmm. And even like I said, we, we were not going to do it, we not going to operate under the name, but we still uh, kept the activities going. Uh, we had groups like Monroe County Leadership Action Committees, uh, Beatrice Action Committee, mm-hmm. and various different other committees that uh, were born out of the fact that the kind uh, state had kind of abandoned uh, the NAACP, but in our hearts, we still were NAACP. 
and our activities were still motivated in the same way that it had always been when it comes to the uh, operation of civil rights. Because mm-hmm. we knew that things were not what they should have been and that unless somebody stepped forward and started a movement, then it would never get there because mm-hmm. it was necessary that uh, we organize and get the kind of, commi- kind of uh, membership uh, together and people who were thinking in uh, one mindset. And I'm, I'm, I'm so that a lot of other names, I don't think we had time to go to call them all, but in all of the communities we had a uh, leadership organization, or no kind of leadership action committee. And we had uh, groups all over the county that uh, worked diligently to uh, keep this movement going and to bring it forward to where it is today. I, I, I dare not mention the fact that there were even though it was a racial problem, but I, I can truthfully say that there were a lot of whites that some secretly and some openly that encouraged us diligently because they too recognized the fact that it was not right and that uh, they couldn't do it, but they could support us when we stepped out there and started to moving on it. Okay. And uh, by the way, the, uh, the vice president of that first uh, 1963, um, well, prior to that, uh, vice president was Mr. H.B. Williams. Uh, Mr. Willie Frank Marshall at that time was the president. Right. Um, I can remember um, from my early days of uh, my mother uh, as well as... Uh, um, a lady that passed today, uh, Miss Easley, and some old ladies here in Beatrice, they would uh, sell over at the community center hot dogs, hamburgers, anything that, sausage, sandwich, whatever. For whenever you guys were out on the road, especially Mr. Cunningham, they would sell right. so that they would have could go to black hotels or wouldn't have to stop at the restaurants and, and eat. Those were people behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. Miss um, Nana, do you recall at, at any time uh, um, in in the past when those ladies would, I, I can remember as a kid running around, they would be up there at the center selling stuff, and there wasn't no free stuff. You, you, you had to have a dime, a nickel, something. You had to come up with something to get some of that food. Because that money was going to go to y'all for y'all travel when y'all was out there on the road. Um, well, first, Mr. Williams, what was that like to know that these women in this community, and I don't know about down there in Monroe or down there where y'all live, but I know about up here in Beatrice, would get together and cook that food and yeah. sell that food so y'all have stuff out on the road? We had ladies from all over the county, all every community in this county, uh, Every now and then, people, we would get together as a solid group. But each individual community, because mm-hmm. Black and Packer being, those people were kind of shut off mm-hmm. by the river. Mm-hmm. But uh, they, too, would, would participate and cooperate. And that took place, Frisco City, Uri, mm-hmm. all over the county. We had uh, little groups like that that supported mm-hmm. the movement. And, of course, uh, they were well 
uh, organized and kept intact of the needs. And whenever there was a need, uh, they was always there. Went into action. Right. Ms. William, uh, do you recall anything in particular, um, a trip or anything that, that, that's, that sticks in your mind that really had you praying even harder when they was out there? Is there any particular date or anything that sticks in your mind that you could recall now? My job was to stay at home, take care of the children, protect him, mm-hmm. the children. But we did have people that supported us, but they didn't want to make it public. Make, pub, make it publicly yeah. because they didn't want their jobs to be taken away from yeah. them too. So it was like it was like you said, it was a fearful thing. Mm-hmm. But we did get some support. Mm-hmm. I, I I can remember. Um, what most of people didn't understand was, and Mr. Cunningham used to tell me about it, and you can uh, uh, tell me your uh, position on it too, Mr. Williams. Just like Miss M- Williams said, the people that had the good jobs, right? Them folk weren't doing too much. Yeah, they were scared of losing their job, right. so they had to lay low. Mm-hmm. And the ones that did help you guys, they had to make that almost secret. Mm-hmm. Because Mr. Cunningham used to tell me the the, the folks that they had the good job, you you didn't see them folks out front, right? Because the, the superintendents and whatever, just like they did you, Mr. William, would take their jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they knew that, and I, of course they, that was that was uh, understandable because they're gonna use whatever they could to discourage it, but. Uh, I said one thing, and this was before I got into it, about Mr. Cunningham. He was not a fearful person about jobs or about his life or his help or anything else. Mm-hmm. He was uh, dedicated to that cause, and it was because of his dedication that encouraged me that somebody else had to stand out there with him. Mm-hmm. And so I made the decision. Uh, to get with him and to help to let him help me to organize groups in the various communities, but I, I give him all of the credit so far as the initial uh, stand was concerned because it seemed to me that he was fighting a battle by himself for the most part, mm-hmm. and uh, he didn't seem to mind it. Even people that uh, sometimes, rather than speak to him on it being time. There are some black folks that will cross the street and go somewhere rather than to let folks see them speaking, to, talking to Elsa Cunningham. Mm-hmm. It was just that bad. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a result of that that, that that encouraged me to say, well, now somebody, the man is out there trying to help us, and somebody's going to have to come to his side and uh, assist him. Because mm-hmm. if, if, if he's out there by himself, then we have lost the battle. Because mm-hmm. he can't stand out there. No man can stand alone forever. Mm-hmm. You've tried a while, but you're going to have to have some assistance. And as a result, we were able to uh, organize a few other leaders. I called some names a while ago and got the whole, got, got local leaders from all over the county and all the communities in the county mm-hmm. uh, to come together and formulate 
what we call the Monroe County Leadership Action Committee. And that was helped us to put this thing together and uh, oppose the system. And even though I lost the job, but I think I gained more than what I lost uh, in 10 years uh, mm-hmm. of that uh, employment by the Board of Education. Mm-hmm. But thank God I never missed a payment on a house note or a car note or a grocery bill or nothing else that I endeavored in. And I always had a few dollars in my pocket. Mm-hmm. And I thank God for that. And I thank not only God, because I know God that inspired uh, the citizens. It was because of the cooperation of these citizens that uh, we were able to survive and to fulfill our responsibilities. Okay. Um, during the um, years that you guys were active uh, as an organization, uh, NAACP, uh, there were many challenges that faced y'all, but one of those challenges was that in Monroe County, um, in the early uh, history of electing officials, um, that was the thing called districting. Mm-hmm. And uh, countywide, a black person could never get elected. So you guys brought a lawsuit, uh, litigation that, asked, that lasted for some over eight years. Right. And at the end of that, um, there was a compromise made with the county commissioners made uh, two districts out of four with uh, black majority voters. Um, tell us about that battle and um, what led to that. I, I, I kind of indicated what led to the battle, but tell us about the, this, that struggle prior to that and, and that battle itself in the courts. Well, when the courts do something, uh, even today, Number one, it's very uh, influential because the courts has the last word. So in order to uh, change anything that the courts said or did or even change their opinion about anything, it meant that we as a people then had to stretch out and strengthen our uh, power, if I can use that word, uh, because power was what it was all about, really. In fact, we come up with a word, and we, and not, a lot of people didn't understand why, or maybe, but the term "black power" came into existence because mm-hmm. there was already white power, mm-hmm. and it wasn't any black power because what little few people we had trying to do something, we were controlled primarily by white power. So it took a lot of emphasis being placed on black power, and a lot of movements and. That was the thing that got us to start to organizing our people and to getting them to vote because we knew that the bottom line was when you got something that somebody want or need, then you got some power. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have any control over anything, then you don't have any power. So we started concentrating on uh, what we called the vote, which was what we named black power and the black vote. And even though we run into a lot of opposition, and sometimes that opposition would be among our own people. Mm-hmm. But we didn't give up. We kept fighting and kept fighting until once we got a certain status, a certain percentage of our people registered to vote, we could begin to feel 
that the power was there. Because then the white politicians started recognizing us, and at least now they would come and ask us to vote for them. Mm-hmm. But prior to that, they didn't even worry about coming to us to ask them about voting for nothing. Because mm-hmm. they had the whole bag in their hand. Mm-hmm. So we, we could feel a sense of responsibility, and we could feel a sense of power as we gradually uh, increased our voting strength in this county and in the state of Alabama all over. And that's another thing. We, we come up with state organizations. See, we had local groups, but then we come up with ADC, the Alabama Democratic Conference, mm-hmm. which was a statewide organization, black organization, uh, created by Joe Reed and others in the uh, Montgomery area. But it reached out, and all of the counties in the state had branch offices. And uh, I dare say that that... that, that, that uh, State Democratic Conference was very instrumental in uh, bringing about a change in the voting strength of getting black people organized and uh, wasn't necessarily fighting against the whites, but we were fighting for our people. And we proposed all the efforts to get our people registered to vote, and then after we got them registered to vote, we had a system where we could pool those votes. Mm-hmm. And of course, I don't know whether I uh, was so favorable of the idea of block voting or not, but on mm-hmm. uh, uh, our circumstances, that was the only way it was going to be effective. Mm-hmm. No point of beating our brains out to really vote, to vote for somebody else unless we were going to uh, get some results from those people. So when we got that block vote going and it became effective, uh, we didn't have to run black candidates all the time. Well, we could go our support to a certain white candidate, mm-hmm. and that candidate would recognize our efforts and uh, give us some of the things that we needed if they were elected. Mm-hmm. And so we, we were very successful in uh, getting black people elected, but we were also successful in, in, in getting some white voters elected, and they too uh, were appreciative and uh, threw some support our way as relates to their being elected. Okay. That uh, lawsuit, that litigation lasted for um, eight years, Mm -hmm. and the financing of that litigation, um, can you remember any key organizations or people during that time that um, pooled their resources or their land or whatever to pay those attorneys to handle that case? Because the litigation, uh, I imagine um, those in the power structures was hoping that uh, you all wouldn't last, but it did last, litigation did last for a total of eight years. How did y'all finance that? Well, we we appealed to the churches and the pastors and the Christians and many communities, and it was at this time that people like Mr. and Mrs. Howard, uh, Real McIntosh, uh, Mr. Leo Bumpers and Willie Williams and Joe Foster and uh, the Richardsons and all and, and many more that throughout the county because we were able to kind of on a kind of wide basis reach out and get black leaders uh, from the various communities and they in turn would work with those communities and have fish fries and uh, cake sales and whatever it took to raise money 
to uh, help us to support our movement and to keep people uh, active because we, we, we just didn't have, mm-hmm. we weren't financially able to do it without this type of uh, cooperation. And it was through those efforts that I give every community in this county uh, who came to our aid and uh, in their own way uh, supported the movement. And they may not have been seen openly, but mm. I can say for sure that every community in Monroe County helped mm. to support this movement. And today we're so happy that we can say, well, we give all of these mm. leaders and all communities credit for the efforts in getting this thing going. Let me say this uh, in regards to uh, people that are watching this and listening to this. That is what makes the black struggle is so powerful. A lot of times we only see the person out front, but there are some things working behind the scene Amen. to make it happen. Like Ms. William at home, making sure the kids safe and going back and forth to school and different things like that and not raising issues that would bring attention to that, 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 the, that the family would get harmed, you know. Uh, as a result of this litigation, the first person elected as a result of this litigation being uh, settled, Mr. Alec Roberts became the very first black commissioner in Monroe County. Mm-hmm. Um, the second person to become commissioner as a result of this was Mr. Charlie, Car- Charlie McCorvey Jr. He's uh, deceased now. And uh, one of the things that I experienced is when Reverend Brown was running for the Board of Education because of you guys re- getting that cell so far as redistricting the white community. I was told this story by a number of times by Mr. Cunningham, and you can, you can help me out on your interpretation of it, that they allowed, first, one of the premises for the suit that the black couldn't get elected countywide. Right. So what the white, I was told, you, you correct me if I'm wrong, I was told that the whites stayed away from the polls in order to get Mr. Brown elected to try to defeat the case so that when you went back to federal court, the courts were saying, they could say, look, well, we got a black elected countywide. It can be happening. What they, their premises for the suit is unfounded. Explain to us some of the workings of that and, and how you experienced that too. Give me your story on uh, what transpired during that time. Well, I guess psychologically some things started happening. See, the white politicians had an advantage over us because they had experience in political dealings. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it didn't take us long to copycat and catch on to what was going on. And we realized that uh, we were in a minority, but we had to manipulate that minority and uh, use it in a way that we could block a lot of things from happening, uh, even though we may not could stop it, but we could certainly change the uh, uh, the, the manner in which it was going to be carried out. And by in our predominantly black communities like Beatrice and Packard being, mm-hmm. we could uh, dominate there because we could elect all of the officials uh, representatives from those particular areas, and we were able to do that, 
And, of course, they had voices on the county boards and whatever, statewide or whatever. And when you put it all together, the black power that we said we didn't like to talk of it as such, mm-hmm. but statewide, that black power, thanks to people like Joe Reed, uh, Turner, and many more, I can't think of all of the names, but mm-hmm. uh, utilized to get that black power organized statewide. And we began to get black representatives from the state, uh, from each districts, and to change that political structure all, all over the state. And then not only in Alabama, but that started taking place in all states. And we began to really feel the value of our black power movement because we began to put people in strategic positions that they could influence uh, the movements. And, of course, occasionally I guess you're going to have one or two blacks that would get in there and be influenced by the whites. But I think as a whole, and we can for surely say for her as our local county is concerned and uh, Wilcock and most of our counties around, our black officials stayed black and they fought and organized as black leaders and helped to bring about other black leaders and it made us more power and even today we have some black power that we can boast about as results of those black men and women who were able to stand tall back in the days of the beginning. Mm-hmm. Now, um, my history of uh, returning here after my military time, uh, uh, Mr. Kernham was my mentor right. and you. Um, I want to go back to my father, uh, uh, Willie Howard. That's how I found out about you and Miss Nanny. Mm-hmm. My father and you all's family, when we would go to Monroe, there was one of the people that Daddy was, was interacting with us as a family was was you, Mr. Weed. That's how. Right. That's how uh, my, my mom. Uh, after my father passed, my mom's and your relationship lasted until she passed. Right. And that's how I first uh, became aware of you. And, and my father used to, would talk about you and uh, Mr. Cunningham and uh, um, that relationship. If you can remember anything um, in relationship with my father working with you, if any situation or anything other than being supportive of you, uh, in that relationship, how he, he and your mother mm-hmm. were one of the strongest couples that we had in this district in this era, and of course that was felt throughout the county because we had, like I said, we organized and we had strong leadership in every community in this county, and certainly. On this end, Mr. and Mrs. Howard was number one, and they, she in particular, put on sales and baked cakes or whatever was needed to raise funds and help the churches in this area. 
uh, I didn't mention Pastor McIntosh, who was a very staunch oh, man. Uh, civil rights leader yeah. in this era mm-hmm. and for the whole county. And people like that, you just don't ever forget them. Mm-hmm. But uh, we, I could go on and on when it comes to individuals. Like I said a while ago, we had representation from all of the communities. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were very strong. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the best things that could have happened because when you have been brought up in a community where black people are taught to oppose black people, oh, man. to disagree, mm-hmm. and that becomes a part of your mentality, it's kind of hard to turn that issue around. Mm-hmm. But thank God, and I have to give him the credit because I don't think it was any of us as individuals that could have done it. Mm-hmm. Well, that God's help, but somehow, uh, because we, a few of the smaller uh, black leaders, was able to come together and make contacts and uh, create uh, issues mm-hmm. that, that 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 brought the attentions of this nation and this kind, the state, uh, to the black leadership, and began to recognize it as such, mm-hmm. and instead of trying to push it back and keep it on the cover as they had done down through the years. But they too had to recognize that it was time for black people to come up, be brought out front and uh, given the full privilege of voting rights and the full privilege of first class citizenship. Because we didn't have the rights, we don't need to talk about you as a citizen if you're going to be deprived of your voting rights. Well, I I remember uh, my dad telling me about the churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew about more new purchase up on the hill in Reverend McIntyre. Right. But my dad uh, would tell me about another church was down in Tonus Spring called Antioch, which yeah. is Antioch up on the hill now. Down in Monroeville, name some churches where NAACP meetings were held and where people would meet and plan strategies and things that y'all had to do. I, well, uh, we would do it at, well, in Monroe, the two basic churches that we used to go to, the biggest churches there, and they were Bethel and uh, Morningstar, which I was a member, and of course, we always had the cooperations of the pastors and the deacon boards and all that uh, to use them. But now, when we spread out all over the county, we had our meetings at various churches. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, Sometimes, we, well, you always had, you, I, I figured we had the support of all the pastors, even though the pastors, like in the rural churches, pastors didn't live in that community. Mm-hmm. So like Packers Bend and places like that, uh, the pastor may not be there, but we had the, the blessings of the pastors and the deacon boards and all that. And we were able to uh, coordinate and get those communities to cooperate and it was through this means that we were able to get the political strength that we needed. And when we did start to uh, run in black candidates, we were able to uh, get some black candidates elected from all those areas, uh, black-dominated, predominated uh, black communities. Mm-hmm. I, um, in my years of... Um Living here, I'm, I'm, I've reached that three score ten that God promises, uh, and I'm working strictly on grace now, according to 
Bible. Right. You guys, uh, you are how old, Mr. William? Eighty-five. Eighty-five. And then? Eighty-three. Y'all y'all just like me and Mary. Me and Mary are two different, two years apart. <laughs> 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 yeah. But, um... Think about some of the, I can remember uh, Mr. Crawford. Mr. Crawford used to tell me about um, my father and used to tell me about uh, Mr. Bob Crawford. I'm talking up on the hill. Yeah. Um, he used to tell me about uh, my dad and Mr. Cunningham and, and the clan. And uh, he used to tell me that my dad was the number one man with Monroe Eichner years ago. Mm-hmm. So far as the clan and, and Making sure the clan didn't get to where they needed to get to, who they wanted to get <laughs> to. Um, but tell me about some of the situations that occurred here in Monroe County. I know about the time that they tried to get to Mr. Cunningham. You may have some recollections of that, but tell me about some of the, um, I might say, escapes or getaways or whatever where the Klan had planned on one thing and something else occurred. Any of them, if you can recognize well, them or remember any of them. Some of them, I, I mean, some didn't materialize, but there have been several indirect and behind-the-scene moves to kind of get us disorganized and discourage us from meeting and things of that nature. Uh, we've had some burning of crosses and some hood marches. I mean, I, I can recall... Uh, when the when the crew clerks was used to meet over the county at the uh, Coliseum, and of course I lived right across the street from the Coliseum, and they would meet and march and come out from the Coliseum right in front of my house and go through town with the hoods on and all that kind of stuff. But believe it or not, my children and one of them is sitting here right now. They used to go out to the road and, and, and laugh at them and wave at them. And, 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 and not showing no fear. They thought they were there to play with. They didn't know. They thought they were just like a parade or something. <laughs> and I didn't ever tell them no different. And uh, see, now a lot of parents were going, come on back here and get it. I didn't say a word. I didn't say a word to them. They'd be out there and holler at them all they want to. They had a head in the can and they throw that and they would pick it up and eat. <laughs> but, uh, they didn't home. They didn't home at all. No, they didn't. The, the reason they didn't harm us. No, uh, they just did that thing. They knew they us. Mm-hmm. The hooded people knew us. Sure. Mm-hmm. But we didn't know them. Well, I, I knew some of them. We, after we find out. I didn't, I, I, later I, on. But uh, they knew us. They knew who we were. Right. Not sure. Yeah, they played with them. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, uh, that's the first time. I'm 70 years old. That's the first time I had a laugh in relationship to the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> <laughs> you should have seen it. You should have seen it. Uh, we didn't, you know, I wish we had had cameras back in them days, though, Freddie. Uh-huh. Take pictures of it to, uh, I don't ever remember all the time that they had performed or whatever they had done, mm-hmm. that you saw pictures of them. Mm-hmm. They didn't. I don't guess they allowed that, did they? Because they didn't really want Monroe to know because yeah. most of those uh, merchants downtown. Mm-hmm. 
Worthy clan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're still mm-hmm. clan. Now, my my uh, <coughs> my experience with them was that, um, and you know about the story, Mr. William, my, um, back in that day, just like we had to get off the street to allow right. uh, uh, our white brothers and sisters to pass, we had to get out of the road to let them pass on the road because the roads were just one lane. Yeah, right. One night. And uh, one Saturday afternoon, I was coming from Old Star Quarter, uh, visiting Grandma and uh, uh, Miss Elliot Sadler, this lady that used to run the post office. Ooh, she could talk to you so nasty. Oh yeah. Ooh, she could say stuff to you in the in the post office, throw your money on the floor. Ooh. But anyway, one day I was coming from Old Star Quarter and I was coming back. And my father had, had passed. Um, Mr. Willie Howard had passed. Right. And, and, and Mom, with some of the proceeds from his death, had went down to Ford and, and bought a brand-new Ford truck, blue and white, with a red pinstripe down the side. That was a pretty truck. But anyway, Mom would tell us, there was five boys and, uh, well, four boys and six girls. Mm-hmm. And he would, she would tell us, whoever got a stripe on that, on that truck, <laughs> they wasn't driving that truck Sunday. So one Saturday evening, coming out from Old Stone Quarter, I could see Miss Sally, the dust, that she heading toward me, coming down that 16, we call it 16 Hill. Man, there was no way I was going to get in the ditch, put a scratch on that truck, and not be able to drive it Sunday. So I get, didn't get out of the road. And Miss Sally had to hit that ditch. I mean, she hit it hard. And do you think... In 1964, a black boy going to be over in Saul Quarter in them woods, <laughs> helping some white woman that talk to you like a dog, out the ditch. I didn't say a word. I come straight on to the house. <laughs> come straight to the house <laughs> and, and pull that truck up in there at the house and didn't say nothing. Man, by 7, 30, 8 o'clock, I imagine, I don't know who it was, but these men out of be at us. All of them pull up in the yard, shine their lights up in the house. Come on, Loretta, send that boy out here that run my wife off the road. Mm-hmm. You talking about quiet in the house? <laughs> Nobody there. That's the first time I heard mom cuss. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine, I don't know who it was, <clears throat> but these men out of be at us. All of them pull up in the yard, shine their lights up in the house. Come on, Loretta, send that boy out here that run my wife off the road. Mm-hmm. You talking about quiet in the house? <laughs> Nobody there. That's the first time I heard mom cuss. Mama come out there. She didn't cuss them, but she did cuss the road. She said that so-and-so road belonged to my son. Just as much. She didn't cuss her, his wife either as Miss Sally. Now get out of my so-and-so yard and walk back in the house. Man, them cars stayed out there. I reckon they was, I don't know what they were doing, but the motors were still running, the lights still shining up in the house. And about 10, 15 minutes later, they all pulled out. She was, you had a tough mother. She was tough. That was the first time I heard Mama Loretta mm-hmm. Howard cuss. Mm-hmm. She was tough. But that was my experience of what they could do and what they would do to you. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was in 1964. Mm-hmm. Just one example. There's yeah. plenty of them. 
Yeah. Yeah. They were doing a lot of crazy stuff. Yeah. Do you remember the situation with Mr. Cunningham and when they were trying to get to him? Well, they were always trying to uh, get <coughs> smaller groups and sometimes <coughs> bigger groups, but mm. uh, he would tell me about a lot of issues where he had uh, confronted uh, opposition, sometimes close up and sometimes directly uh, from an individual white mm-hmm. who would uh, cuss him out and say things to him or about it. But he said he just ignored it and kept right on doing what he had to do. Mm-hmm. He used to tell me about um, his wife, Miss Addie. Yeah. Man, he, he, he said that uh, that the, the white folks, the board, and he said so many folks tried to do stuff to him. Mm-hmm. And, and and he would tell me if it weren't for Miss Addie and her her working, you know, for the for the for the board of education, and, and right. he, he would say she would when she get through talking mm-hmm. to him, he could go out and it <laughs> fire him up. But that I, I can imagine, Miss Nanny, that's that's how you kind of kept yours going. Mm-hmm. I, I know you uh, said it several times, but. Um, that's what gave the men the power to go out there, a supportive wife. Well, I, I, I give her credit because she stood tall, and a lot of mothers would have probably, because I've seen cases where a mother sometimes almost snatch a child's arm off when he step out in front of something like that. But uh, she knew them children were right there, and she knew what they were doing and saying. But she never worried about it. She didn't say nothing about it. She let them say what they wanted to say. After all, they was on their side of the street and, in, and on their property. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they could stand out there and yell back at them all they wanted to. And so then none of them come over there on that side and mm-hmm. attempt to bother them. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they had no intention of doing that no way. It was just creating mm-hmm. that little filth thing that they do, putting that little rose on and marching through time. Back then, that did carry a little feel, but I feel reasonably sure mm-hmm. that it was our actions then that destroyed that fear of the Ku Klux Klan. Mm-hmm. Black folks just ignored them mm-hmm. because if they went too far, when they come over to get us, some of us are going to get some of them mm-hmm. one way or the other. There's going to be a race war. Mm-hmm. And thank God it didn't get to that. Okay, there's one other question I want to ask you. Was well, a couple more, but uh, Dr. Martin Luther King um, never set foot in Monroe County. Now, um, there is one story as to why that occurred. I heard that from Mr. Cunningham. But from your recollection, what was the story behind when he was right over the next door in Wilcox County? What was what was your recollection of that particular incident? Why he didn't come? I'm not fully sure of the real reason why he didn't, mm-hmm. but I don't think it was fear on his part. Uh, it may have been that he just didn't get the right invitations from the right people to come for a particular a given program. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, in a lot of cases, he went places where he didn't have to have an invitation. He just went because there was a need. Mm-hmm. And uh, we may have 
Well, actually, Monroe County has, I won't say it's been a perfect, by no means, mm -hmm. race relations, but I can say that I feel that race relations in Monroe County has not been nearly as bad in Monroe County because I grew up here as a boy. And I used to play with a little white boy right there uh, where the water board is now. He and I would ride all over town on our bicycles and tricycles and go up there and play in the coat house yard. And I was a year or two older than him, and his mother would give me the money to go to the drugstore every day. Mm -hmm. We'd go up there and we'd go in the drugstore and had the bars, had the kind of bar on the, the stools at the bar. Mm -hmm. and, and, and at the drugstore, blacks could only just go to that front ice box and all the things close to county. Mm -hmm. But me and that boy went in there and said, now we're cool, now we're just seven, eight years old. Mm -hmm. But every day he and I go in that drugstore and sit up on the county stool, white folks sitting on both sides of it, nobody said a word. Man in there, no question of service. Because mm -hmm. uh, I understood later on the reason was because I happened to be with her grandson, mm -hmm. <laughs> and everybody knew what was gonna happen. She messed with her grandson. Messed with her. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, um, I, I have uh, really enjoyed um, talking to you, and I want to say to our listeners, we have covered um, in the recollection of all of our minds what comes to the top of our mind that really sticks out in the mind about our, our past is here in Monroe County and Mr. H. B. William and uh, his relationship with as a civil rights activist and, and some of the trials and tribulations that he went through, him and his family, to get where we are. Let's move up to um, modern, uh, what you might say, modern times, well, all the times, well, 40, 50 years, still modern time, but currently, uh, I know um, I've sat with you at your house there and you talk about issues in, that you have been involved in and in, in, in dealing with so forth legal things. Uh, is there anything, um, what I say, more than time in the last 10 or 12 years that you've had to deal with that comes to mind that still reminds you of the struggle of uh, black-white uh, relationships, and even though it's changed some, but uh, that lets you know that it's still here? Well, yes, I guess it's a lot of things. Of course, I think I'd like to say, first of all, that the positive things, uh, before we get into too much of the negative. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm very pleased with the fact that Monroe County, I think, I'm talking about the whites, the power structure now, mm -hmm. I think that it was accepted a little better here than it was in most other counties in the state. Uh, issues come up and of course they were handled in a very intelligent manner and there were one or two maybe extremes where blacks was kicked to the curb but for the most part I think our leadership, our political leadership in mm -hmm. Monroe County has been very well established because somebody and it had to be the whites had enough foresight to open the door for blacks to be elected officials and to give them jobs that was previously given to all whites. And with the uh, coming of Banter Fair Mill in Monroe County, mm -hmm. and Monroe in particular, 
uh, where blacks and whites, basically women, mm-hmm. were hired, but they hired, including my wife, mm-hmm. and she was there on an equal basis and an equal pay basis, and so were some others. And I think those were door openers uh, for showing that Monroe Rio and Monroe County was uh, interested in the upgrading of the race relations in Monroe County. And we had some very open-minded political leaders, judges, lawyers, things of that nature, mm-hmm. who uh, saw to it that even though there were more blacks in the courthouse than whites, naturally, but still they tried to go all out to be sure that justice was mm-hmm. dealt mm-hmm. in a uh, equal and fair share. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, to wrap it up, um, you first, Miss Nanny. Um, anything you would like for the people to know in regards to um, those three score and ten plus <laughs> years, Monroe County and uh, race relations. It goes way back, Freddie. I could tell you when uh, we used to. Like you said about race and all, you know, mm-hmm. Ku Klux started back in what the forties somewhere, mm-hmm. and where well, the Mockingbird mo- uh, apartment sitting right now mm-hmm. down in that area, it has improved itself, but we had to, like you said, go through a struggle to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we went to Vanity Fair in '64, uh, right after right after Christmas. I got hired, and it wasn't easy because at that time, or during that time, they refused to have more than two blacks at a time in the plant. Because, mm-hmm. like, my dad. Worked there in night. Started working there in 1939. He was oh. the first black at Van de Fair as a boiler, and then they had a black woman to come in as cleanup girl. Mm-hmm. In fact, they after they added the other plants, mm-hmm. they added hired more black women to clean up, and that's all they would do is clean up. But my point is that. When I applied for the job, I really wasn't going to clean up or sew or none of that stuff. I wanted to be a bookkeeper, mm-hmm. but they wasn't ready for book black bookkeepers at that time, and they made that clear. The, the owners wanted us to what sew. Mm-hmm. I sold five years, and after five years, I had another child, and I went back and I examined the, the mm-hmm. garments that I sold five years. So I I really worked at ten years. And after that, you know, we moved on. But after, uh, I said maybe three, two, three years, they started hiring a, a lot of black women, mm-hmm. which was needed because our people needed a job, like you say. Mm-hmm. And 
through it all through all of that, they they will question you about these things. Did you not know that? Mm-hmm. What y'all gonna do with your money? <laughs> oh yes. You make money out here, what y'all gonna do with it? <laughs> you didn't know that, did you? No. Yes, they I did. Never. What y'all gonna do with the money? They were making money. They even questioned me. Mm-hmm. And we wasn't getting but what? Twenty how much two dollars and fifty cents a Oh. An hour. Mm-hmm. And what you gonna do with that money? I said, you know what? I just want to make some money to take care of my family. Well, a lot of people work there, wanted to build a house, want to. They needed homes to live in, a car to ride. We didn't need that. We already had that. So, mm-hmm. our point point was, like I told my husband, many days I didn't want to go because of the Atmosphere. attitude that yeah. toward us black people. Yeah, it's, it got better, but you know what? Through all of that, we had to do a dozen, at least a day. And if you didn't make your time, they let you go home. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I didn't make my time, but they let me stay there. Mm-hmm. Because I lived in town, and if those girls that, I'm just sharing this because, like, they don't know why they were still there. And some of those girls, before they left there, they were making a hundred dollars a day, and I couldn't make a hundred dollars a week. <laughs> I couldn't make a hundred dollars a week. We were just making fifty dollars a week. Every two weeks you get paid, right? That's a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. So, I, it was a good thing for us. And then when they got so greedy, they started cutting the time. Sooner or later, you know. What is it? Uh, the loom place bought her, bought them out. Fruit of loom. Fruit of a loom. Mm-hmm. So that kind of downgrade our people. Mm-hmm. But our people were able to get and buy and have what they needed before they shut it down. So I'm I'm proud of that because we had a chance to, you know, enjoy some of the riches too. <laughs> mm-hmm. So now we still in a at a standstill. Mm-hmm. Our people are still struggling. Where are we going from here? How are we gonna get there? You know, those are my questions. Mm-hmm. We're on welfare, you know, and more mm-hmm. a lot of other things. But we did pretty good. I think we did pretty good after they opened the doors for us. Mm-hmm. But it was hard to get in that plant, Mister Power. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, Mr. William, um, wrap it up for us from your perspective of race relations here in Monroe County and, and how you've been blessed and how far you've come and to this day, um, where we are right now. Oh, uh, I might well start with saying uh, an old song that went like, Yes, came a long ways from St. Louis, but we still got a long ways to go. We ain't quite home yet. Oh, it's progress. A lot of openings and a lot of things, but that's still that touch of racism that is, and the objectives are still the same. It's just not as obvious as it has always been. And hopefully it will eliminate itself completely. I'm praying for that. Even before I die, I hope to be able to see a day when there is no 
racism and no racial prejudice. But as long as there are different people, you're probably going to find some touch of racism. Uh, and especially when it's going to find... It, the, the biggest problem with uh, where it's most pre- prevalent is going to be in economics. Mm-hmm. If, if we could get equal opportunities in the financial field and the economical system where... Everything was completely equal. At that time, I think that over a period of time, people would be able to move themselves up to an era where everybody would just look at everybody as an individual and not as a black or white or Indian or whatever, red or yellow. And we're coming closer to that, but we're not quite home yet. And we're still fighting. We ain't when I sit here and talk, I'm not just talking in the past, because I realize that there's a distance ahead of us. And even though I know that there are some young leaders coming on, but I also know that I can't throw up my hands, I can't stop now. And as long as I live, i got to keep on moving, because that's a problem. And there's no need of us fooling ourselves saying that we are home free, because... There's still a lot to be accomplished, and those of us that's in leadership positions are going to have to advance our methods, but we don't have to, can't afford to say, stop and say, well, we done made it, mm-hmm. because we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. Well, Mr. H.B. William Homer, um, Ms. Nanny, I would like for both of you to give me your full name. And uh, for the record, Ms. Nanny, you first. I'm Nanny Ruth Madison Williams. And Mr. Williams? Homer Beecher, B-E-E-C-H-E-R, Williams. All right. I thank you all, and I thank your daughter, uh, Andretta, for filming and uh, documenting voice as well. Thank you. Appreciate you inviting right. Thank you. All right. You've been just listening to Living Live History coming from 231 Sixth Avenue from Mr. Homer B. Williams and Ms. Nanny Williams, um, civil rights activists and still going strong today on House of Done Gospel Blog Talk Radio. Stay with us and uh, we'll see you next time on House of Done Gospel History in Alabama. history, that is, with Mr. H.B. William and Miss Nanny Ruth Williams. 
We want to thank you for being here with us. You can call us and be part of the conversation at one three four seven two zero two zero three one seven. You can just listen at one six one nine six two nine four six three four. Or at one seven one three nine five five zero four six four. The civil rights history and life here in Monroe County. When you're talking about turning it around, God, Jesus can really turn it around. We want to thank Mr. H. B. Williams and his wife, Nanny Ruth Williams, his daughter Andretta, and his son Warren Williams. And a little bit of history for you. Mr. H. B. Williams was in the first band at Alabama State University back in 1948. We have this picture posted here. Also, his sister was the first female in 1948, a years later, the first female as part of Alabama State's strong marching band history. Stay with us as we talk to Miss Nana Ruth Williams and Mr. H.B. Williams. Civil Rights History, Monroe County, Alabama. Stay with us. Good evening, and how's everybody doing? Uh, Miss Andretta William is on the phone with us. Um, thank you for joining us this morning on uh, early notice for a late night broadcast. Well, I truly thank you again, Mr. Freddie. I tell you, I just appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate your program, your effort, especially reminding us of our history because we had to forget him, but thanks to you and your program. Um, talk a little bit. I had the opportunity of interviewing your father and your mother and you doing the filming and with Warren's input and all the things that have transpired here. Talk a little bit about your dad um, prior to the interview. Okay, well, uh, me, me being born in the 50s and the oldest of the six children, uh, I grew up watching black and white signs, but my dad was, was a worker, he was a fighter, and, and uh, he did everything that he could to make sure that we were not uh, going to slip back into slavery, I guess you could say in a sense. Uh, but to make sure that our rights were not uh, being violated uh, as he worked his job. And, and, and as he said, uh, maybe I don't know if he did, but uh, at a certain point he lost his job as an educator and uh, everything fell on my mom. And I guess that was probably one of the hardest times during our lives was uh when we had to survive off of my mom's income. My dad would get little jobs, odd end jobs here and there. And I'm sure a lot of it had to do with the fact that he was standing up for our civil rights. Uh, but uh, 
under the circumstances, I'd say in Monroeville, we had a wonderful life that was uh, exposed us. Oh, boy, exposure, lesson in itself. And we truly got exposure uh, traveling different states and different cities during the summer, uh, connected with the uh, Sunday School BTU, I believe, Sunday School. Mm-hmm. Tell so me he this. was busy in the church and an activist. Mm-hmm. Tell me this. Um, your mama, Ms. Nanny, was a piano player and musician for right. years, played at many churches. I love to hear her play, and I like to sing along with her. One day I want to sit down and mm-hmm. record with her and just sing them old gospel songs. I think that that's a, that's a powerful that sounds, enlightening right there. Like- yeah, that sounds like a good show. Yeah, with you, with the yeah. family. You know what I was awfully surprised by, and I spoke to you earlier this morning prior to this interview here. I found out that your father was a B-flat tenor sax player in the first Alabama State marching band. And yes. Oh, what an awesome history for you all! Uh, you as a musician, yeah. you and Warren. Can you yeah. can you talk just a little bit about that? What that's like? Well, all of that was before my time, but I hear the stories. Mm-hmm. Um, he tell me the stories of how he played in a band in high school, and, and I often wondered why he didn't go uh, pursue music. But uh, as he tells the story of fights switching out in the bar and they having to jump through the windows to get out, I guess that was enough to frighten him. So he, but there's one thing about it, he did not stop any of us from pursuing uh, a career in music or playing in clubs. So I appreciate that mm-hmm. because that was part of my life. Yeah. But, uh, yeah but uh, I can't get him. When I was younger, he would pick it up and blow it a time or two, but he won't even blow it now. He says he don't have that energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he blows the sax, and my mom played piano. Mm-hmm. She still does. Yeah. I, um, I've i been doing some research and digging on your mom and your dad, and they are in two books that I know of that they have been interviewed and talked to. Your mom and your dad is quite a history of civil rights struggle here in the state yes. of Alabama, specifically Monroe County. Yes. And and, and let me ask you this. Um, I have some files of um, Mr. Uh, Ezra Cunningham, which was the first black um, talk radio host in Monroe County on WI, um, WMFC 99.3 there in Monroe. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to go back and dig those uh, some of those uh, tapes up, and I'm going to add them to this um, production here. But okay. um, he was uh, talking on the radio during the civil rights battles and struggle. That was that was a unique thing for Monroe County back then. That um, and, and when your when your father spoke about Papa Chat, I knew exactly who he was talking about. <laughs> I forgot Mr. Cunningham went by that name, Papa Chat. Papa Chat. Papa Chat. He could talk some stuff on the radio, 
And you talking about, he used to tell me how, how mad he would make um, the white folks, and he said he would. <laughs> he, just, he just told the truth. He did, he did. That's all, just telling the truth. So if the truth makes people angry, Mm-hmm. Maybe that's maybe that's why we're so mad now, mm-hmm. because the truth is coming. The truth mm-hmm. is coming. Yeah. Well, Luke, I'm, I'm, is there anything else you want to add? Because this is um, prior to running the interview that you did the filming of and uh, talking to your mom and dad. Anything you'd like to add? Um, I guess I I will add because um, my father and Mr. Cunningham worked so close together, I did get involved in some of the um, marches and some of the uh, movement when I was a teenager coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't do a lot of marching, but we did do some protesting city uh, ins I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad that I had an opportunity to be a part of that and just delighted. But yeah, my mom plays piano and she's been playing all of my life and and she's still playing. I think she's one of the few musicians left in Monroeville, so uh she gets to play everywhere because they're not a lot. And I just admire her for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and for standing with my dad during this during his fight and, and, and unemployment. Mm-hmm. I, I know we we are closing in on the end of the interview, but uh, I remember reading in the book where your mom was uh, a sit-in piano player for at at, at Hopewell CME Church there across from the Coliseum, across mm-hmm. from. Uh, but anyway, I, I I thought that was a powerful memory of her and her stance and support of your father and. How yes, she yes. was preparing for an interview for someone to come talk to Mr. William and how she went through the the process of preparing a, a southern meal for that interviewer. That's powerful. Oh yeah. Stuff. It is, it is. But you know, Freddie, what's so interesting, God must see in plan because we've gone to um uh we went to a President Barack Obama's inauguration. Mm-hmm. And while we were there, there was a young man from a radio station out of Spain, mm-hmm. and he sat and he interviewed my father Ooh. for an interview that was uh, programmed and, and played over there. I need to try to get my hands on it. Mm-hmm. But it's just amazing how God puts him in a place, and he's the only one of his friends left. Mm-hmm. And God puts him in a place so that people are interviewing his life and his struggle, so it's just a blessing. Oh, that that that's a book in itself. All the that's different a book interviews. In oh, mm-hmm. I know. Of, that's the third um, powerful entity of media outreach yes. into history, reaching into the history beyond you and our beyond our lives. Is what what he has experienced and what he has said. Mm-hmm. If, if you can find that interview, get it in our hands and this add it to this documentary. Because yes, sir. I sure will. I sure will. That's powerful. Powerful. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Well, Andretta, 
I thank you for taking this early morning time away from your time to talk about your mom and your dad. And uh, God bless you. And uh, I look forward to sitting down with you and your mom and some old hymn books and recorded yes. on and, 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 and letting God use us. I'm yes, looking forward yes, to that. I do, too. I do, too, Freddie. Thank you so very much. Yeah. And, oh, by the way, guess what instrument I played in the marching band? B flat oh, tenor saxophone. No, no, get out of here. That's it. <laughs> well, I need to put put you and my dad on a in a, in a booth somewhere and see what you all come out with. See how much wind we can find. <laughs> I get it. I know, right? That would be so interesting. That would be interesting there. That's what wow. they call. That's what they call the win win. Oh, oh, um. win win. <laughs> I like it. Win-win. Well, we coming up with something here today. That's pretty cool. Oh, and your brother on trombone. Lord have mercy. And me on trombone. I tell you, (laughs) (laughs) win-win, (laughs) T-bone. Well, Andretta, I enjoy talking to you. Me me and you going to have to do some, just me and you, reminiscing about history. We shall. We shall. We shall. We shall. Okay. God bless you, lady. Thank you, and you have a blessed day as well. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Man, oh, man. God is awfully good. Andretta Williams, the daughter of Mr. H.B. Williams and Miss Nanny Ruth Williams. Stay with us as we continue here on House of Black and Gospel Blog Talk Radio as we do and talk with civil rights activists, Mr. H.B. William and his wife, Nanny Ruth William, Monroe County, Black History. Say, we are your internet radio. How see production gospel. Children, 
your job, your money, your house. You can take it anytime you get ready.
we forgive our indebtedness, there is no iniquity in Jesus Christ. The iniquity is in you and I. Again, welcome to House of Gospel Blog Talk Radio.